0: So we have a problem that we need to discuss. There's an epidemic. And it's bad. And I don't personally think people are freaking out enough about it. I actually think that most everybody in this room is probably already affected by it. I'm not talking about Corona. I'm talking about the more, more, more busy, work harder, progression, progress, hectic, anxiety, culture, virus that we've all come in contact with. We've been discussing this as a staff uh, for a while now and really more deeply for a couple months, taking a look at the state of our culture and the state of the church, and the state of our own souls, asking ourselves, is the way that we're operating and doing life congruent with God's plan for humanity and health? I think that what I'm learning is it's important to recognize that the the world that we've all grown up in, and the culture, and the speed at which we move, and the the wealth that we have and the stuff and the noise is is probably not altogether biblical, just a hunch we 're reading a couple books, some of us, um, if you want the resources that we 're drawing from from this series, then uh, we'd be happy to give those to you but i I read in a book recently it said uh, He asked the question, he said, how often when somebody asks you how you're doing, does your answer include the word busy? And I had to be really honest with myself. I never thought about that before, but I can genuinely tell you that probably the past couple years, 95% of my answers included that word. It's just the way that I've always answered the question, whether we're doing bad or it's, oh, it's a tough season or we're doing really good, it's usually something like, yeah, we're good. I mean, super busy, but good. Anybody resonate with that? Like we live in this culture because we're Americans, right? And yeah, go America, right? And and, and we believe in progress and harder, better, faster, stronger, more, 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 and more. And, and, we, and we pursue this when it comes to our work and our wealth. Uh, but, but it's even infected our lives in other ways. You, you probably have a, a, a little infection device in your pocket or in your hand right now. Some people would say that 2007 is going to be the moment in history, other than the life of Jesus, that all of history turns upon. In 2007, Steve Jobs came out with this thing called the iPhone. It's, it's, it's instant access in your pocket at all times. Now some of the millennials and Gen Xers don't know what it's like to grow up in a world without that, but some of the older folks, including myself, I'm right on the edge, we remember the time when there was no internet or when there became internet, it was almost so frustrating to get on that you just didn't waste your time, you know, the dial up. (laughs) But now we have instant connectivity, not just to information and access to the internet, but what it's connecting us to is a culture of comparison and, and more, 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 more culture. It breeds FOMO in us, we're fear of missing out all the time, fear of what's it. It's why we're, we go back to, you know, early when social media came out, there was this moment, a short moment where, like, say your Instagram feed You would scroll down, and then you'd reach this place where you had seen the picture before. Do you remember that? But then this guy came out with this thing called infinite scrolling. And now all of them use it. So your Twitter feed, your Facebook feed, your Instagram feed, your news feeds, they will never, ever, ever run out of content because he developed an algorithm that will always put something below, and so you can literally scroll forever. Even if you only have two friends, they will add something, <laughs> and you could scroll forever. And it was built with this intentional purpose to hook you like a drug to your device, to make you want to go back to it and get that little dopamine hit when you get that like, or that new story comes out, or the new picture, and, and it's just I think it's hurting. In fact, the guy that invented infinite scrolling has since apologized for what he's done to humanity. And so we're starting this series uh, this weekend and for the next maybe, uh, I think, four or five weeks, and we're calling it The Art of Being Human. Because it really is an art. It's, It's complex, this life that we live in. There are so many responsibilities that we do have, things that we must do. We have to provide. We need finances. We we need to work. And it's a good thing to progress and to build and to create and to do and to make. And it's, in many ways, the things that we struggle with are good things. But just like a lot of sin, sin is a good thing that becomes twisted. Not all sin is altogether evil. You recognize that, right? A lot of sin is just a good God-given thing that we twist for our own selfish purposes. And so, we're going to spend a couple of weeks inviting you in to the process of discerning with the along with the Holy Spirit, are we healthy? Are we at peace? Do we experience true God-given rest in a society that's all about more, more, more? John D. Rockefeller had $1.8 billion in 1918, which some people say if you do the math for inflation and all those things, that he would be worth $400 billion today, which is by far the richest person ever uh, live in this nation. Jeff Bezos is worth one hundred and eight billion, and so four hundred billion dollars is insane. So the wealthiest person to ever live in this nation. And somebody asked Rockefeller one time, "How much is enough?" And he said, "Just a little bit more. <laughs> Just a little bit more." And so I want to kick off this series with a message entitled, "That's enough." Because sometimes, I think we need to recognize that it's enough. And so, I would invite you to open your Bible to Genesis chapter one with me. Um, my hope is to use technology in a good way today and to uh, allow this, these devices that God has enabled us to create to bring uh, illumination to the word. And, Instead of me running around, I'm going to kind of sit here and do a little bit more teaching today than preaching, if that's okay. And, uh, and I really want us to, to spend some time looking at the, the very beginning of the scripture and, in particular, to notice the nature of this God that we serve, the nature of the God of the scriptures. What's he like? What does he do? What does he not do? And what does it say about his creation? And so let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this time. I thank you for every person in this room and all those that are listening and watching online. And in a, in a world that's filled with, with busyness and chaos and many, many things that uh, a fear culture is trying to get us to fill our, our mind and be anxious about, fearful of. We set aside these moments for you, and we invite you to speak your truth and your peace and your rest into our hearts through your word and through your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's look at the beginning. Genesis chapter one, you've, you've probably read this or heard this before. It says this, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was Without form, it was void, and there was darkness over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. So as we walk through Genesis chapter 1, I, I want us to just sort of pick up on the, the who, what, when, where, why, how, and so here at the very beginning, we see that the, the when is in the beginning, before anything was here. And the main character of this entire story, the one that we read and the one that we're living in, the main character is God. Now, the Hebrew word for this God in this particular place is El-Ohim. And we see a few things about this God from the very beginning. We see that this is the root, El. It means God and it's singular in its form. And Ohim has a few different meanings but it means mighty, powerful, uh, or with ability, and it's plural in its form. And we see even at the very beginning, this this hinting at the, the divine nature that we've come to know as the Trinity, but it's a singular God that in himself is community. And this is who he is, this is why later on you'll hear the term, let us make man in our image. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit are one in nature, Will, all the while living in community with one another. And so he is, this God is distinctly different from the other gods of history and humanity. Yes, yes, right. yes, he is. Most religions of the time would have been uh, polytheistic. They would have, they would have looked at things in creation and attributed deity to those things of creation, like the sun or the mountains or the whatever. But the God of the scriptures, the God that that we follow, is a God who himself is outside of creation because he is the creator of all of creation. That's what our word is telling us and teaching us here. And so the when is in the beginning, the who is Elohim, a powerful, productive God. And so the what is that he created, This is the the very beginning of the narrative. It's telling us the what in terms of his action, the verb is that he creates. And then the what in terms of the result is the heavens and the earth and everything else that we experience. So in the beginning, this all-powerful God begins to create. So we see that his nature is a nature of production, creation, creation building, making. So far, he sounds pretty American. (laughs) Right? I want you to notice the how. This is the how. He doesn't use tools. He doesn't even use his hands. He uses his voice. This is how powerful this God is is that he can just speak and everything that we see and experience comes into being. I think that, it, it, that this theme here at the beginning is actually expressed all throughout the scriptures and it's, it's why, by the way, faith is so important. The scripture says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. It's why, it's why the speaking of the truth is so important because there is so much power in speaking, whether truth or lie, and we need to hear the right thing and listen and trust the right information, and that from the very beginning, this God has been inviting us into the story of His creation with an invitation to trust Him. An invitation to trust Him. Let's continue. We don't have time to read it all, so I'll just uh, go through the the seven days um, of creation real quick. Amber told me that I spelled a word wrong, which I always do. Thank you, Amber. Veg adaptation. Vowels are hard, just saying. Okay, day one, we would see in verses one through five, he creates the heavens and the earth, which is sort of a description of uh, everything else that we see. And by the way, oftentimes when you read the word heavens in the scripture, it's not actually referring to the heaven that we all think of as in the afterlife. It's just simply referring to the skies or the atmosphere above. Typically when it comes in the plural sense, the heavens and the earth, that's what it's referring to is just the sky. Just a little side note for you, that might help sometimes even in the New Testament when you read that, you're thinking, this doesn't really seem like he's talking about heaven the way we think about it, because he's not. So in this case, it's describing describing this universe that we live in, and then on day one, you see that he creates light and day and night, and then he says this, you've probably seen this before, he looks at it and he says, it is good. So the Hebrew word there is tov, T-O-V, and I asked, uh, by the way, one of our city group leaders, Phil, they just started a city group all about uh, going through this book. And he told me, he said, we've had three city groups sessions already, and we have only covered three words. And I was like, wow, you must be really smart, dude. Um, Three words. So there's a lot in here that it's impossible for me to get to. But he said, I said, is that word like good? When I think of good, I think of good nature to good character or morally good. He said, what that word good means when you read it in all of these cases in this section is that it, whatever it is that it's referring to is fulfilling the function to which it was created to fulfill. So God looked at this, this thing and he said, it is good and it is doing what I created it to do. And so he moves on to day two. Day two is kind of weird. It's simply this day where he creates this expanse, this gap the space between the, the mists or the waters above and the waters below, and uh, you'd find that in verses six through eight. On day three, verses nine through 13, you would see he continues with, with separating, but this time on the face of the earth, he separates the oceans and the seas and the water from land, and so, so mountains come out of the, the water, and, and the land that we live on and dwell on uh, it separates itself from the water, and he creates a separation between uh, land and water, and he looks at that, and he says, it is good. And then he creates vegetation, which is life in and of itself, although I would consider vegetation and trees and plants and all those things to be living but non-conscious or non-personal life. And he looks at them and he says, you are Tove. you are good, you are doing what I built you and created you to do. And so he moves on to day four verses 14 through 19, and he creates the sun and the moon, which is interesting that there was light before, but it wasn't until day four that he creates the sun. Interesting that there is day and night, even though it wasn't until day four that he created the days and the years. But anyway, day four, it says that he created the sun and the moon to serve as signs for seasons. We see that this God has in his mind that that his creation would, would not just be one singular progression going one direction, but there would there, be signs and seasons that there would be summer and winter and fall and spring. And in different seasons, he has different purposes. And though we enjoy summer, it's oftentimes in the winter season that you're going to become stronger. You could see this even in creation, that a tree will actually grow its strength in the winter season. And when the the winter is harder, if you cut the tree and look at the rings, you'll see that the rings are stronger in those hard winter seasons that create the ability to produce fruit in the summer seasons. So we see a God that creates with his, his power and ability seasons, days and years. Day five in verse 20 through 23 we see that he creates air and sea life. So all of the living creatures that to a degree have a conscience, they're, uh, they're, they're more than just vegetation. They're, they're not humanity. They're, they're living beings, though. They're birds and the flying things and the sea and everything that's in the sea. And he, he looks at those two forms of creation and he says, you are good. And then he gets to day six. Verse 24 through 31, and he creates all of the land animals, the creatures, the beasts of the the land that we share the space with. He looks at them and he says, You are good. And then he crowns his creation, his final creation, by creating humanity. And at the very end of it all, he looks at all and he says, It is very good. It is very much all accomplishing that for which I created it to accomplish. I want to look at day six together uh, and just draw out a few things here. Uh, this This is what the actual text says about that last section. It says, God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts on the earth according to their kinds, and it was so. And so God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God made everything except for cats. Those, those came from the devil. Just kidding. Saw that it was good. Who said I agree? Give me an amen. And so he creates beasts and and land animals on the same day that he creates you and I. Chose the same time period to create the animals and and then he says, let us make man, he says this, in our image. A term that has not yet been used about any of the things of creation, no matter how beautiful and majestic a mountain or how vast a sea or how amazing Hawaii is. None of his creation, vegetation, or even animals, any of that, is it expressed that it's made in his image, like you and I. So let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let us give them dominion over the fish of the sea, and the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over the earth, and over every creeping thing, and so you have power over all the spiders, And if you know anything about the way that a Hebrew writer would write, you would know that anytime they repeat something, oftentimes it just shifted a little bit, but if they want to repeat something, it's a way of really emphasizing what they're trying to get across. So we see it again, a poem within a poem, where it says that, so God created him in his own image, and in the image of God, he created him, both male and female, he created him. I want to look at one other contrasting passage because when you get into chapter 2 in Genesis, it, it also describes the creation in a little different way. And I want to look at just this one verse, Genesis 2 7, where it's describing the creation of man. And it uses a different term this time. It doesn't say uh, in the image of God, it says this Then the Lord formed the man of dust from the ground. That's encouraging. We're just dirtbags. You know? But what sets us apart and makes us really alive is that he breathes into this little dirt bag. <laughs> the breath of life." which, by the way, both in the Hebrew and the Greek, uh, the word "breath" is a reference to the spirit. And so what he's trying to Described to us in this text is that there is a God who's all-powerful and he has the ability to create and he he creates with even his voice and he goes about performing and producing and creating and making just exactly as he wants it to function and he looks at it all and he says, it's good. And then he crowns his creation with a being that has his fingerprint, a being that has both image and image yet is made out of dust. A being that is formed in his image, and as the spirit and the breath of life fills us, we can come alive. And we are unlike anything else in all of creation. It says this, thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. And he rested. And then it says a few more things that are really, really important. It says that God blessed something, he blessed the seventh day, and he blessed it for a purpose. To make it holy. Because on it, God Himself rested from all His work that He had done in creation. I don't know if you ever have thought about that word, rested. It's not as if God ran a race and He was tired. He didn't need a breather, He didn't need a vacation. What this word actually is insinuating. Is is more like what Michelangelo must have been feeling as he was carving out the, the statue David from that piece of stone. And I don't know about you, but I'm not much of a statue guy. Not really my thing. But I did go and see the David in person, and when I saw it, I was surprised at my own self for liking it. There's something really special about the statue David. When you're standing in its presence, it it is truly magnificent, it's weird. You look at it and you're like, wow, that is truly a a beautiful piece of art. And the insinuation in this word is that, like a real artist who has ability, God-given talent to create and produce, that there comes a point in time for an artist, like Michelangelo, That he had done as much as he should do. And if he takes one more swing of the hammer, he will have gone too far. Therefore, God ceased from creation because he thought to himself, this is good enough. And if I produce more, it will actually be too much. That's what that word means. In fact, literally this word, this verb, is sabbathed, God sabbathed, which means ceased or stopped with intentionality. Now, what I think is really interesting about this creation account, a lot of things, but a few things stand out to me. Number one, that humanity was created on the sixth day, and our first day of being was a day of rest. The second thing that stands out to me is that God could have just started week number two after day number six. Why have a seventh day? It wasn't necessary to his being. He didn't need a breather or a vacation. But the text shows us and implies to us that just with the same intentionality with which he created all of the physical things that we experience and looking at them and saying, it is good, it is good, it is good. I've made this physical thing for a purpose, and it's fulfilling that function. He also created an intangible thing. And not only did he say it's good, but after all of his physical creation, including you and I that have the very stamp of the divine upon our life, made in the image of God, it wasn't to any of the physical things that he made that he blessed or offered a blessing. It was to an intangible thing called the seventh day. Notice, this is the first thing that God blessed was a space for rest. I was asking Phil, what does that word mean? He said, Barak. It means it's a picture of of, uh, somebody carrying treasure on the back of their camel, and the camel getting down, and the person digging into the bag of treasure and finding a gift and giving it to a friend. That's the root word for that word, Blessing. It's a gift brought to a person with intentionality. And then this all-important all word that you find all throughout the scriptures, holy, it's, it's God saying that I'm, I'm not only blessing this day as a gift unto you, but I'm setting it apart for you for rest and relationship. It's a covenantal term is what it is. And so I just wanna uh, draw a few conclusions from this passage Um, and invite us to just consider today and to consider this month just a few things. First of all, Elohim, the God of this scripture, the God of the Bible, the God that you and I serve, the God of all powerful ability, production, and creation is a God who knows how to say enough. I've done enough. It's good for now. And I'm gonna choose rest. Number two, just because you can, doesn't mean you should. Think of the ability that God had. He could have kept going. I mean, just ima- the, the scripture even tells us that no mind can even comprehend, we can't even imagine what is that God can do and what it's going to be like he has so much creation ability that it's literally going to blow our minds what we're going to see and experience in his presence one day and yet for this time in this space he he valued stopping even though he had the ability to keep going he didn't think that he should friend just because you can make more money doesn't mean that you should Just because you have the ability to make just a little bit more doesn't mean that you should. Just because there's another project around your house that could be done on a Saturday doesn't mean you should do it. Just because there's another sport to sign your kid up for so they can be really good at it doesn't mean that you should. Just because everybody that you see on social media is doing this and that and the other thing, it doesn't mean that you should. Just because you can go there and get away with that and do that thing with that person behind closed doors and look at it doesn't mean that you should. Why? Because we are not beasts. Have you ever seen an animal that makes a choice based on self-control? You don't see it. Beasts, the other living creatures that were formed on the same day as you and I, they work on instinct. They make decisions on instinct, based on fear, the lack of fear, based on desire. This is even what we see in the account in Genesis chapter 3, I wish we had time to look at it, but the account of the temptation and and the the serpent, the creeping thing coming to humanity and saying, did God really say to you that you can't eat of any tree in the garden? And she said, no, God said we can eat of the trees, but we can't eat of that tree, nor can we touch it. And it's it's an invitation to distrust God and his provision. Ever since the beginning, there's been an invitation from this creator, the all-powerful God, to trust him that what he's offered to us is enough, which includes the offering of a, gift, of a gift to rest with some of our time, that that's enough for us. And then what they found themselves contemplating in that moment was, did, did God really provide for us enough in all of the rest of his provision, or is he holding out on us with that one tree? And so the temptation Uh, that came was this temptation that that urged humanity into degression to say, just like a beast, you should just do what you want to do. Just take it and eat it because that's what your flesh desires. But it's as, as if God is saying to us, no, 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 you're a type of creation that has my fingerprint. You're created in my image. I breathe my spirit into you and those with my spirit have the ability to truly experience love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control because we're not beasts. We have the ability to do much more than we should do. We are a combination of both image and dust. We are at all times a combination of power and ability and production and also fragility. There's there's so much that God has, and I think that God is really pleased with the progress that we've made. As humanity, I think that he loves our art and our creation and our science when we use science in a godly way, right? I think that he's really pleased because he created us to create. He didn't want us to stay stagnant. He wanted us to produce and to build and to multiply. He just wanted us to walk in a healthy God-given balance of those things. To recognize that though we have the, the imprint of divine upon our lives, we also have constraints. We're also built out of dust. We have to recognize that we have to sometimes say no and rest and choose to stop. Lastly, I just want to point out again that the first blessing was on a day and it was a gift for rest and relationship. God has brought a great treasure for us. It's one that in our culture is hard, hard to receive. It's funny to me because in our culture, if you've ever tried to stop, and I'm, and I'm not just talking about a vacation. I'm not just talking about sleeping at night. I'm talking about God's gift in resting, worshiping Him, setting aside time to spend in rest and relationship with Him that you might be rejuvenated and refilled or like the scriptures pointing out to us, that we might start from the place of rest and let that place of rest lead us to a place of production instead of the other way around. What's really interesting, and I wish I had more time to talk about, but uh, the first time that this text would have been written would have been written to the Israelites in the desert, coming right out of 400 years of slavery, coming right out of a situation where their whole their whole being and their whole value in the midst of a slave culture was a value placed upon their life based on their production. You ever thought about that, that the Israelites, God's people, were coming out of a system that said for seven days a week from sun up to sundown, your value is imputed upon your life based on how much you can produce for this kingdom? And it's in the midst of coming out of that reality that Moses, Uh, reminds them of God's commandment that is not coming with the law, but in the law, he's remembering them that from the very beginning, God created everything and intentionally instituted a day of rest. As if God was saying again to these Israelites that your value is not based on your production, your value is based on your identity and trusting me first and working from that place. I wanna read one more passage, and then I I wanna invite Angela to just sing over you. I felt like, uh, this is obviously a little different than than normal, but I just really felt like this message, the Lord wanted to fill uh, this this space and our hearts with a, a refreshing peace and a new degree of rest. And I think that he's doing that right now and that he's he's going to do that. I wanna pray for some specific people um, here today before we close. But I also know that what God wants to do in our lives is more than just what he intends to do on two hours on a Sunday morning. I really hope that we would take seriously the invitation to invite God to do what only God can do in this time and this space, but invite him to reveal to us through our life this week and this month, what are the things that maybe I've allowed to consume my time and my energy and my pursuit and my desire that I need to set aside, that I need to sacrifice? And what are some of the things that you have offered as gifts to me that I I should embrace? Things like Sabbath rest. Simple things like scripture reading, prayer, worship, simplicity, solitude. Sometimes I think we're looking for the next new, complex thought in our faith. And he's given us so many gifts, so many simple gifts to stay healthy in him. And so Jesus shows up on the scene and he says, are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me, get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest I love this line, walk with me and work with me. One of the things we're gonna discuss in this series is that work is actually not from the devil, nor did work come with the fall. Work was a gift to us before the fall. The curse of work came along with the fall. And so what we have to do is figure out what it is that God had originally intended for our production and our work. It's a good thing. There are many, many good things that God has given us that turn into sin because oftentimes sin is not altogether evil. It's a good thing that God gave us and we twist it. He says, walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. Rhythm is only rhythm if there's a pause. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. So I'd like to invite you just to bow your head and, and close your eyes and just give space, just a few moments for the Holy Spirit. Um, would you, as Angela begins to sing, just ask, Holy Spirit, is there anything that you need to point out in my, in my world that I've allowed to consume my time, my energy, my, my mind space, Am I being controlled by my phone? Am I being controlled by my work? Am I being controlled by my pursuits? Do I live in a place of peace and rest, being filled up from the presence of God so I can go out and produce and create in a healthy way? Or am I being bombarded by this world that we live in?